1: Welcome to Lighthouse Faith Podcast, where we are moving forward in truth and love. I'm Lauren Green, Chief Religion Correspondent for Fox News Channel and author of the book, Lighthouse Faith. It is election season, um, if you didn't already know that, and the midterms are consuming, well, the lion's share of media attention. It is also probably consuming attention between family members and friends. In fact, there may be people you're not even talking to or are not talking to you because of politics. But if you're a Christian, should politics trump family, relationships, or friendships? Shouldn't Christians be more beholding to the authority of Jesus rather than the political party you support? Government is ordained by God as being not only necessary but good, but the political systems today are not beholding to the Bible. So what happens when a political platform conflicts with your biblical values? Or what happens when politics become more important than the biblical values and then hence give you reason to cut people off from your life because they offend the political tribe you belong to? Well, it is quite a conundrum, and it's growing more and more these days. But Patrick Miller and Keith Simon, there are two pastors who have some ideas to remind Christians about voting versus values. In their book, Truth Over Tribe, pledging allegiance to the lamb not the donkey or the elephant welcome to you both
0: thanks so much for having us we're excited to
1: talk thanks for having us lauren well you know it's really great because um you really spell it out in the uh in the in the title of the book you know you've got to be it's all animal related right the lamb not the donkey or the elephant um why did you write this book
2: One thing we've noticed in our community, in the world we live in, and also in our church, is that people are fracturing, that we're all kind of forming these individual tribes. And while we are definitely concerned about our whole country, we are mainly concerned about the church. And what we see is churches who are arguing with one another, churches who are shrinking, churches that are moving away from their message about Jesus to take up a political message. And as pastors, we thought we, we've got to do something to speak to the church to help them understand that there is truth in Jesus that is greater than their political tribal affiliations.
1: Yeah. You know, one of the things you write early in the book, which I thought was really, really, really um, powerful, and people should be reminded of this, you said, what if the goal wasn't to win an argument, but to win a friend? Um, I feel like we've lost that, don't you?
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I think anybody who's listening to this has been in an error in that way. I have won a lot of arguments and lost a lot of friends as a result. But you do it enough and you begin to realize that that's not the life anybody wants to live. It's not the kind of community anybody wants to be a part of. You want to be in a community, and a church where everyone loves each other. They they care about each other. Back during the pandemic, we had this uh, kind of crazy idea. This is right when the, the coronavirus hit for the very first time. There was a local bakery and they basically hired almost entirely people with uh, mental disabilities. And, and because of the pandemic, they were going to have to close down the mm. entire bakery. And so we thought, this is terrible. We want to make sure that they stay in business. So we concocted this kind of harebrained plan. We were going to buy so many cinnamon rolls from them that they would stay in business. And we would send those cinnamon rolls off to local schools because at the time, Teachers were trying to figure out how do I teach on Zoom? I've never done this before. Mm. And we thought it's just a way to support them and care for them. And at first it went great. You know, people are posting on social media, thanks so much for the cinnamon rolls. This is awesome. Yay. Until yeah. it was <laughs> until it was sent to one particular school. Keith, you can say what happened next.
2: Well, we got an email back from that school saying that they couldn't accept our cinnamon rolls. <laughs> we were like, hang on a second. You can't accept a cinnamon were roll. They, were mean, they from what, the wrong what, party what,
1: or did it were this were they Republican cinnamon rolls or Democratic well, cinnamon no, rolls? Or? Well,
2: what they were, where they were, Christian cinnamon rolls. Our church mm. had uh, kind of taken a stand publicly about sex and gender, and there was someone in this school who didn't like what our church stood for, and so they said they didn't want our cinnamon rolls. and okay, well, that makes us want to reach out to you. Like We don't run away from that, we we walk toward it. We wanted to see if we could build a friendship here. And I sat down with the principal who was just trying his best to represent his faculty and staff. And what we decided together is that we can disagree on things but still work for the common good, that we don't have to agree on everything in order to work for the best of schools and our community, parents, families. And I think that's the world we wanna live in isn't it a world in which people can have different viewpoints and right, we can right. discuss those? They're important, but but we can still work together.
1: But what? You know, that, that's the whole thing. Like, it used to be, I mean, let's just take Christians, you know, the issue of evolution versus creationism, all that stuff. And it used to be that you could kind of agree to disagree. You know, we both believe in God and agree to disagree. Um, I'm just saying that as an example of we can agree to disagree, and but we're still friends and we'll still be okay. And I still love you and you still love me. That's not the case today. Where does tribalism come from? Like where Uh, does this come, this thing that's inside of us, where does that come from?
0: I think it comes from a number of places. And tribalism is nothing new. You you know, we could have written this book back during the Civil War. (laughs) We could (laughs) have written it during early elections there are these hilarious well they're not hilarious at the time but now they're hilarious campaign ads uh, when uh, adams and jefferson were going against each other for the presidential election and they called each other awful names they said terrible things you know uh, adams said about jefferson's followers if this guy wins there's going to be prostitutes everywhere no one will believe in god wow. and the same thing the other way around that uh, adams wanted to get us into a war with france and so it was this funny uh, time where you could go back to the early 1800s late 1700s and you see the exact same kind of tribalism then so on one level tribalism and polarization is nothing new and yet i do think there are some new things that are happening today that are making tribalism much worse we're seeing all of a sudden the the decline of truth the notion that there Mm -hmm. is such a thing as capital t truth social capital social trust is at an absolute all-time low social media has created all kinds of polarization a great example of this is a friend of ours who went to a family reunion I, I, you don't
2: go to the family reunions, do you? No, no. I, I think you're <laughs> yourself at a family reunion, you, you've made a wrong turn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, our, our, friends, our friends are the same because it wasn't even her family. It was, it was her spouse's family. Wow. She went to the reunion. This family has been meeting for 37 years with over 100 people. So they must really love each other. And it, at 2016, you, you can guess what happened. Oh, dear. Uh, a, few, a few people drank too many Bush lights. And then after that, someone started shouting about who they were going to vote for. And this became a debate. The problem is at a normal family reunion, everyone leaves and forgets about it. But thanks to Facebook, the conversation gets to keep uh, going <laughs> they moved forever, to the family group on Facebook forever. And they start saying awful things to each other so bad. That they are disinvited from each other's weddings. Uh, one, one young man ended up dying, and people boycotted his funeral. Oh my and his goodness. To protest their political views, right? And now this wouldn't have happened without the opportunity of social media to continue the argument, to continue the fight. And I think that's what happens is, is most of what we know about the other party, you know, the person who votes for the donkey or the elephant or whatever it is, mm-hmm. we get most of that online. We yeah. get most of that. From media, and increasingly, we don't actually even know people well who have the opposing view, and as a result, we can assume the worst things that we hear about them on the internet.
1: I mean, I, we want to blame social media and big tech, but honestly, I'm wondering about. And I work for the company. Um, I work the 24 hour news cycle. I mean, how much does that? Because I mean, if you watch another news organization, you watch MSNBC. CNN, um, you know, you really do get a different view on the world and they vilify anything that comes out of Fox, um, you know, (laughs) and I I would and they would say the same thing about us uh, that, you know, Fox vilifies anything that's liberal or, you know, and everybody's touting this truth, but it's not truth. It's tribalism. I mean, is that what I'm hearing?
0: Well, one thing I think that the 24-hour cable news cycle does, uh, Charles Dickens has a novel, Bleak House, and he has a character in it, Miss Jellyby, And Miss Jellyby she lives in England, but she really cares about orphans in Africa. Mm-hmm. And so the story is that she's constantly sending money over there. She's constantly concerned for them. She's constantly writing letters. But the irony of it is that she has her own kids at home who she is neglecting terribly. Wow. <laughs> she doesn't even seem to know about their existence. And I think that's what the 24-hour news cycle can do to us. It puts our focus on the horse race in Washington, and we begin to neglect what's happening in our own local communities, which to my mind is actually the heart of true conservatism. It's caring about what's happening in my family, in my schools, in my local municipality. That's where I should spend the vast majority of my energy. But if, I, if I've telescoped all of my energy and I'm paying attention to what's happening in D.C., oftentimes those are exactly the people who can't stay focused on what's happening right where they're at, where their boots are on the ground.
1: Hey, but I know the, Warden, good, Go ahead. Go ahead. Okay.
2: Well, I was going to say that that you mentioned how each network kind of castigates the viewers of the other one. And it makes us all realize that we live in these media bubbles where we not only uh, live around people who think like us, but we also take in the same news of people who kind of think a lot like us. And it's easy to demonize people that you don't know. And and the story I think of in the Bible is just when the uh, disciples are with Jesus and they're heading to Jerusalem and they go to the Samaritan village and they ask if they should call down fire on the Samaritan village because they won't let them stay there overnight. And so imagine asking Jesus, the Prince of Peace, if you should (laughs) napalm this entire village. I mean, they just, James and John, they just don't get it, I don't think. But, but. They had a completely different idea of what Jesus was about. They, They thought he was going to Rome to defeat the Romans. Instead, he was going to Rome to die for the Romans and the Samaritans and so eventually after jesus is dead and resurrected and and uh these samaritans start joining the church and so you picture james and john sitting next to some of the samaritans that they wanted to kill not that long before but that's what jesus is always doing he's always bringing people who would naturally be enemies he's bringing them together for a bigger mission because he's a bigger king than the political kingdoms of our day i I cannot imagine a better testament to the
0: watching world than if the church was the only place in this country where you saw people who were Republicans and Democrats and everything in between coming together, worshiping together and saying, yes, politics matter. Yes, we care about our parties, but you know what's more important? Jesus. And when you're living in a society that's as polarized as it is, I think, again, that would be something that would magnetize people to Jesus. This is the one place I can go and people aren't going to put politics first. People are going to put my humanity, my personhood first. They're going to want to know me as as a friend. And and if that's what the church was, again, I, I think it would be really attractive to outsiders.
1: But I think there's also part of the problem. Problem that I see, even though you're Christian, you could be you could show up at church once a once a week or once a month or every day. But if you if your religion is not real deep, you know, it's just kind of on the first couple layers, then the culture really is where you're going to be sort of putting all of your effort and your worshipping and all of that. But there's also the level of you know, this 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 culture is becoming less religious, you know, and now instead of bowing down an almighty creator, you know, they're bowing to a political party or a social movement. And that becomes their passion as an extension of their religious belief and sometimes instead of it. Um, I mean, how much is the culture culture's kind of losing of its religion affecting Christians who really do believe?
2: Well I think we've heard people say before a really good point and that is that Christians who attend church once a week maybe get an hour from a sermon and maybe they're a part of something else during the week too maybe it's 2 hours a week but what they're doing is they're they're participating in social media and they're getting the news from the 24-hour news cycle like you mentioned earlier many many hours a week and so you you've got an imbalance where our our Uh, consumption of good spiritual content is not very much compared to all the news and anger that we're taking in from other places. So it shouldn't surprise us that we as Christians are becoming like the people around us. And so some of this is the failure Of the church to speak into the issues that our culture is talking about and model for Christians how to think christianly instead of thinking like a republican or a democrat yeah Yeah, you know
0: i I have a bit of a counterintuitive answer as well the 1950s and Sorry about that. <laughs> <What>? <laughs> the 1950s. Anytime I talk about the 1950s, I start coughing. It's this weird reaction <laughs> as a millennial. I can't help it. Um, so in the 1950s and into the early 1960s, that was the high watermark of American church attendance in all of American history. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was something close to 70% of Americans were attending church regularly. Yeah. And yeah. yet there were polls that were done to test the knowledge of these highly religious Americans going every single week. And about 45% couldn't name all four Gospels. Yeah. Now, I don't know how serious your faith is if you can't name all four Gospels. You know, I mean, if you're a new Christian, it's a different thing. And so one of the things I think could happen in the midst this is that, is that there's a kind of civic religion out there. It's yeah. kind of a, a Americanized Christianity. That's what you just said. The roots don't go very deep. I'm just Christian on the surface. And I think when you're in a culture that's more antagonistic towards Christianity, mm-hmm. it forces you to think more like, Daniel and his friends. You start to see yourself as an exile living in Babylon. And and when you see yourself that way, just like Daniel and your friends, you know that you have to have lines you won't cross. You have to know there's going to be times where I won't bow down to the idols. You're going to know that there's times where I eat different food. My life looks a little different than everybody else around me. And that's okay. And so, I, I don't I don't always see the the lack of religion in our country as a bad thing for mm-hmm. for true deep faith because what, what else could produce better faith than persecution than suffering than hardship yeah. I mean Paul and Jesus they all say that's that that's that's the mix that's what you want if you want to have a deep faith
1: well that's very let me let's uh, let's take a break right now on the White House Faith podcast we'll be right back uh, talking with pastors Patrick Miller and Keith Simon We'll be right back
0: Jason in the House, the Jason Chaffetz Podcast. Dive deeper than the headlines and the party lines as I take on American life, politics, and entertainment. Subscribe now on foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you download podcasts. All
1: right, we're back at Lighthouse Faith Podcast talking with Patrick Miller and Keith Simon. They're two pastors who've written the book, Truth Over Tribe. Pledging allegiance to the lamb, not the donkey or the elephant. Very interesting, though, too, is that um, you were talking about the 50s before, and that was the highest church attendance in America. About 70 percent of people actually went to church, you know. And that was – a the thing is that was a big part of the culture. People might not have read their Bible very much. I mean the only connection they would have had would, would be on Sunday when they cracked open the Bible, you know, for the – for the you know pastors or the ministers sermon or something like that, and read you know like two or three verses or something. But you were saying it was right that you know most people couldn't name the four Gospels, but they were at church and they were and the culture at large believed in the church values, right? Right. Hmm. I mean, I think that, yes. that. I mean, you know, and that's the that's what we're seeing now. We've got people who are much more faithful in America. But the culture has continued to go in a sort of secular vein of you know it's me 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 kind of thing um and um, yeah. and, and and the very very interesting because there was a, the, the the sermon yesterday at church the the minister actually talked about abortion um and linked it to God's word in the Old Testament in the story of Noah where God says um, You know, by shedding man's blood, by man's man's blood, you'll be shed, uh, you'll die, whatever, something like that. I I should have pulled the verse actually right now. But he actually used it to talk about, um, well, the, the, the environment, but also abortion. And I thought, oh, my goodness, he's brave. And then I also thought, oh, my goodness, why should I consider him to be brave to be talking about the value of life in a Christian church? isn't that isn't that odd though that that it should be that knowing the mood of a even a christian church conservative even that he should be concerned about that you know yeah you
0: know it, again it's funny to me and where i say that there's a beauty in in being maybe a bit on the outside maybe more of a prophetic voice that most people aren't going to agree with is that it allows you to show jesus in ways you simply can't otherwise one story that comes to mind for me was we were partnered with a local, very liberal, very progressive uh, film festival. And and we helped support, they, they had a nonprofit uh, event that was a part of the thing and they would support good causes. And we thought, okay, this is a good way for us to, to try to build bridges with people who think differently than us. And it created this multi-year long partnership that eventually spun up into this thing where we were going around to evangelical churches uh, and showing progressive films, but creating conversations between evangelicals and progressives mm-hmm. and their communities. And as this thing is spinning up. I mean, a week after we're in New York showing a film uh, at a church there, uh, Keith preaches an infamous sermon, which he's already mentioned. And in that sermon, he he talked about uh, Genesis 1, where God says he created the male and female. And he said, look, there are only two immutable genders. Now, he encouraged people, we need to love our transgender neighbor. That doesn't mean we don't love them, but right. we also need to hold to the biblical truth. Well, the minute this happened, uh, that, that film festival and a few other organizations uh, eventually produced public documents. Uh deriding us to some degree, canceling us and saying we're 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 canceling our partnership and we're offended by what they say. And by the way, they knew all along our beliefs. We we right. weren't ever, right. We weren't hiding them. And but how so dare that, you how dare you say them publicly though? But yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and, and that was part of it. But here was the interesting thing. When that happened, when they came out and, and publicly derided us, we had a choice to make. We could shoot back at them. We could say all the problems with the film festival. We could say, you guys knew this all along. Quit pretending. We have lots of options. Mm -hmm. And we decided, no, you know what we need to do? We need to love our enemies like Jesus told us. And so myself, our staff members, our our church, I said, let's get online and we're going to tell people Keep going to the film festival, keep caring about what's happening there. I love what they do there. And so basically our church responded to them in love and kindness and grace. And the film festival, the, the, the director of it came to me afterwards and he looked at him and he goes, that was, this guy's an atheist. He goes, mm. that was a masterclass on grace. Yeah. I don't know how you did that. And I said, I didn't do it. I learned it from the true master of grace, Jesus I don't get to have that kind of conversation in a Christian society, <laughs> but I do get to have it in a in a society where I can be loving to those who show me hatred. And and you know what that does? I think it wins people to Jesus. And so that's where, I mean, there's going to be challenges, but there's also some beauty that comes out of uh, the cultural moment that we're in.
1: You know, we're talking about, I mean, obviously the election um, is coming up and one of the things that a lot of Christians I've heard say is, you know, like, neither party is where I belong. You know, both of them have problems but the two-party system is what we've got. So, what's really the alternative um, for you know to voting, um, to voting your values or voting what you believe in? I mean, do you hold your nose and just you know click a lever? Um, what's what's the alternative?
2: I think some people could hear our book and think that we're telling people they shouldn't be involved in politics, they shouldn't vote, they mm-hmm. shouldn't run for office, or maybe make a financial contribution to a candidate. That's not true at all. We think that Christians should be politically educated and educated in their government and what's happening starting at the local level, but then building up to the national level. And we think it's important for Christians to take their values into the voting booth. Everybody takes their values into the voting booth. So why shouldn't Christians do so as well? What we're trying to help people to do is realize that Their political candidate has their own set of flaws. Their political candidate isn't perfect. Their political candidate isn't going to bring in Jesus's kingdom, that the kingdom only comes with the king. So you hold your political party loosely and you uh, are, are willing to challenge it where it's wrong. You recognize that Jesus's platform doesn't fit into the Democratic or Republican platform, that Jesus doesn't want to be the president of the United States. That would be a big demotion for him, yes. right? He's the right. king of the universe. He doesn't want a four-year term in the in the Oval Office. He rules over all things. So what we're trying to do is say, say to, to Christians, have your loyalty first to Jesus, be willing to speak the truth. Sometimes that will align very well with a political party, and sometimes it'll be out of step with a, with your party that you particularly identify with. And, and that's okay. What you don't want to do is be so in the bed with your party that you no longer can, can, can say hard things that challenge it, that you just kind of get absorbed in it and find yourself defending positions, defending people that aren't Christian at all. That's what mm-hmm. compromises the witness of the church because then people outside start looking at Christians and saying, do you even believe what you're saying? Because you've given your loyalty to... Uh, this president or that candidate, and, and you're compromising your faith in order to win uh, a political election. It, it's for sure not worth it.
1: Well, how do you how do you stop the tribalism within a church? It's um, because there are obviously you've got problems within the families, but let's start with the church. How do you stop the tribalism, the political tribalism within a church?
0: The first place I would start is actually with the gospel. Uh, because I think that the gospel is fundamentally an anti-tribal message. If we all agree that before the cross, we are all sinners, (laughs) we have all fallen short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter how I live my life. You and me are the same before the cross. We've we've all fallen short. That gets rid of our tribal differences. It doesn't matter if you're uh, a Democrat or you're Republican. We are exactly the same at the foot of the cross. And on the flip side, the promise is the same for us, that we would be resurrected into glory. And so it can be uncomfortable for someone who's maybe on the far right to realize that he might meet some socialists in heaven and of course the other way around because at the end of the day those things aren't what matters most to jesus and so that's where i would begin is just saying remember the gospel we are the same before the cross we are the same in the resurrection and when you realize that it takes down the dividing walls
2: yeah jesus has a tribe it's just an unusual tribe it's a (laughs) tribe in which everybody is welcomed in and which the people inside the tribe are supposed to give their life for people outside the tribe And so that turns the whole idea of tribalism, which is usually about us versus them and building walls, completely upside down, inside out. So I want to be on Jesus's tribe, where everybody who wants to come can come, no matter your race, no matter your economic, no matter your your condition, no matter your gender, whatever it is. Everybody is welcome to come and be a part of Jesus's tribe. And he teaches us to love others, even those, maybe even especially those outside of our tribe.
0: Yeah, Jesus crossed tribal practice. Jesus crossed tribal boundaries and and pressing one step further. I think what it looks like in the church is we have to show kindness. We have to listen. We have Mm -hmm. to admit when we're wrong. And maybe above all, we have to show radical generosity. It is amazing to me how generosity brings people together inside church and interesting also brings people from outside the church in. One way we've done that is every year around Christmas and Easter, we try to do some big giving campaigns to bless our community. And a few years ago, we had this kind of wild idea to partner with what was actually a secular organization, RIP Medical Debt. And what they do is they buy medical debt for pennies, on the dollar. So for one penny, you can buy a dollar of medical debt from a bank. And now they're buying medical debt from people who make under two times the poverty lines. These are people who will probably never, ever, ever pay back their medical debt. And why this matters is if if you have a huge medical bill, those creditors are coming after you It can be hard to get a job. It can be hard to get housing. It can be incredibly embarrassing. And so we thought, what if our church was able to pay off all of the medical debt of those kinds of people in our community? So at Easter, we did this big campaign. We're like, hey, let's do it. We're going to pay off the debt in our city. The problem is that our church was way too generous because they didn't just pay off our county's debt. They paid off 33 counties of medical debt in the state of Missouri. It was something like $43 million of medical debt was paid off in the end. (sighs) Now, what do you think that does? That brought everybody in the church together because we all gave together and we all got to be a part of this amazing thing of sending out letters to people and saying, Jesus canceled our debt and now we've canceled your medical debt. And it brought people into the community who said, I didn't deserve this. Why did you guys pay it off? And we go, well, we didn't deserve it either when Jesus paid off our debt. So I think generosity is one tremendous way to bring people both outside and inside together because who doesn't want to get around doing something good?
1: Wow. I've got one story though for you. I mean, one or two on a personal level, um, that happened to a, a dear friend of mine. Um, and he had a friend of he 25 years since he's known since, I don't know, high school or whatever. They've been real great friends. And friend emailed him and just said, because you support so-and-so, I can no longer be your friend. I mean, it devastated him. how How do you deal with things like that? That's ultimate tribalism of thinking that someone you don't even know is going to sever the relationship you've known for more than two decades. How do you deal with that?
2: Well, obviously there's a lot of hurt there because you thought that you had a friend and it turned out that a political party became more important than a friendship. And somehow that's, We've somehow we've allowed that to happen to us. We've allowed uh, politicians to tell us that their agenda is more important than family members and friends. And is your life better when you lose friendships, deep friendships like the one you just described? Are you happier? Probably not. Tribalism makes us more miserable. It makes us more anxious. It causes us to, you know, always be walking on eggshells, afraid that we're going to say the wrong thing and offend someone. We've lost the ability to give each other grace. And that has cost us these friendships. Now, I, I don't know if I, if I were in that situation, I think what I would try to do is what I did with the the school principal who didn't want the cinnamon rolls and that is just sit down and visit sit down and remind each other of our common humanity sit down and realize that the trump supporter well he also volunteers at the homeless shelter and the socialists that you don't like well they're the ones that brought you a meal when you had a a kid that at the end of the day we have far more in common than we do different i mean we we want the same things for our families We, we we have similar desires and goals and so I think when you remind each other of your common humanity, which happens best face to face in relationship, then you can kind of start put other things in their proper place. Politics is important. It's just not of ultimate importance. It's not worth the loyalty and, and, and the energy that we give it. Absolutely. And, you know,
0: if that person refuses to have the conversation, I think we pray. You know, you can't be someone's Holy Spirit. That's what the Holy Spirit has to do. And so you pray that their heart and mind would be changed. You show kindness in response. You don't show uh, animosity and, and anger in response. And and again, I, I think there's high odds. If you are a highly tribal person, not, I'm not saying that's the case for your friend, but I, I think the more tribal you are, the odds that these kinds of situations end up coming your way probably increase. And here's why I say that. When I think about friendships, I often think about them in the three categories, uh, acquaintances, allies, and confidants. And acquaintances are people, you know, you just kind of know informally. Allies are people who you work with. You share a cause with one another, right? But there's not a ton of depth. And confidants, are those rare few friends that you have a ton of depth, you, you know each other's families, you know each other's lives. And sometimes we mistake allies for confidants, especially for tribal, because we're always looking for someone to be in my tribe, to be my ally. But if your entire friendship is based on allyship, that we're on the same tribe, we're on the same team, well, the minute either of you begins to change or go a different direction, it can create divides that are almost impossible to get to to get across because you didn't have that deeper layer of friendship. Now, again, I'm not saying in that person's particular case, that's what happened a 25 year mm-hmm. friendship sounds pretty serious, but, I, I would also say that to people who are experiencing it maybe in shorter term friendships that maybe part of it actually has to do with your own tribalism
1: yeah um, you know this is a very powerful book and i want to remind people the book is called truth over tribe pledging allegiance to the lamb not the donkey or the elephant patrick miller and keith simon thank you so much for being on lighthouse faith podcast it's really been really really healing i think for hopefully for me and for a lot of people
0: now, uh, Thank you so much for having us. It's fantastic talking and we'll be praying for your audience. that Maybe they all find a way to uh, reduce tribalism where they're at. Thanks, thank Lauren. You.
1: Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening to Lighthouse Faith Podcast. I'm Lauren Green. Have a blessed day. Pull
2: up a chair and join me, Rachel Campos Duffy.
0: And me, former U.S. Congressman Sean Duffy, as we share our perspective on the discussions happening at kitchen tables across America.
2: Download from the kitchen table to Duffy's at foxnewspodcasts.com or wherever you download podcasts.